Question, have your thighs ever rubbed together, creating a rash because of friction? Chafe is no joke, but thanks to Megababe, it's also no problem. Thigh Rescue is the anti-chafe stick made for chafers by chafers. Get Megababe's Thigh Rescue and experience what 10,000 five-star reviewers rave about. Thigh Rescue stops chafe. With one sold every 30 seconds, you better run to megababebeauty.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer-A-Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer-A-Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Introducing the Lowe's List for Innovation. While our aisles are filled with innovative products, we've selected our favorites just for you. Like the exclusive Whirlpool washer with industry-first two-in-one removable agitator. We love this washer because you can customize any load. And with other smart features to streamline your laundry routine, this product is a must-have for families. Shop the full Lowe's list of top picks at Lowe's.com. Lowe's, home to any budget, home to any possibility. U.S. only. All right, it's film study once again. This is going to be the fun episode. We get to look at the offense that just blew up on Sunday for the Ravens. Ken McCusick, how are you doing? Life's good, Josh. How about you? I'm doing well. I uh, I was getting over a little cold. We're going to talk to Michael, who's doing the same thing as kids go back to school. But I just uh, finished up with a new episode of Section 336 about five minutes ago. So I'm all fired up and ready to go. Uh, but like I was saying, Michael's joining us again today. Michael, it's been a while. How are you doing? It has been a while. Uh, it's good to be back. I'm doing well. Like you mentioned, kind of trying to battle off a little bit of that back to school uh, sort of cold. 
germs that sort of hit you. Everybody out there that has kids probably understands that. But uh, you know what? I'm still basking in the glow, to be honest. It's it that that win was so good that uh, I'm probably feeling better than I actually physically should be feeling just because of sort of uh, you know the after effects of watching that game. Yeah, we, we mentioned this a little bit on the last podcast, but it's a game that I'll watch more than any other during the season because I, I'll watch this and it's the only one I have for a whole week. And then next week I might watch this once and the other game a bunch of times, but it's it's, it's the game you watch most for the whole season. And it's it's such a high to have this be a 59 to 10 win. You, know, you, can, you can play it backwards. I mean, I, I watched it this today for the first time, just quote unquote for fun. After watching it about five times where I'm actually charting plays and, and, and going through this stuff, that was all fun. I mean, offensive line scoring has never been more fun than it was last night. So anyway, uh, just a thrill to have a game like this as the first of the season. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, you and I talk a lot and and you know that I'm a, a big Lamar fan, always have been going back to even pre-draft when he was at Louisville. But even I was like looking in this at like in disbelief. Like, well, wait a minute. What, what, what are we looking at here? Like, I, I expected some improvement. I expected, you know, some him to kind of take a step as a passer. And I know we'll get into that. But uh, I don't know that anybody uh, could have foreseen this uh, uh, in terms of what we saw on Sunday. If they did, there's there's value in, in whatever other predictions they want to make. 17 out of 20, <laughs> 324, 5 TDs, 0 interceptions, a perfect 158.3 passer rating. All of the basic stats, I think, are understood, and you've seen them in box scores time and time again, although you might have reviewed them five times because you didn't believe you had every point <laughs> down. But just fantastic game. 19.1 average yards per completion, which is not quite a franchise record. Actually, the, the record is held by Tony Banks, who had 33.5 yards per completion on a day he went 8 for 26, but 6 for 258 of that was to Kadri Ishmael. And the, uh, the Ravens beat Pittsburgh in 1999. So, so the he didn't beat that record. By the way, that's drink every time we say record during the show. Yeah, you're like three drinks in now, yeah. supposedly. <laughs> yeah, uh, we're going to get you over that cold pretty quick if, if alcohol is any sort of a cure. <laughs> but when you break down that 19.1 average yards per completion, 10.3 air yards per completion, which is great and way more than we've seen in any game in recent year, but years by the by the Ravens but also 8.8 yak per completion, which is also fantastic. And we hadn't been getting from any previous set of receivers in recent years. No, all of those numbers that you mentioned, uh, all of those were areas that probably, you know, not where we would have liked to see them in previous years, whether it was last year with, you know, Lamar sort of small sample size or even, even at times with Joe Flacco. But this game literally just checked all the boxes. Uh, in terms of all of those those stats and and statistical areas that that you just mentioned, which I mean, it's just so everything about this is just so rare. You know, you just don't see this kind of performance um, often. And when you do, and I, I kind of mentioned this on Twitter, you know, don't don't take away from it by oh, it's the level of competition. Miami's a JV team; they're tanking. All of that is true. There's plenty of time to be the rational, reasonable you know, sort of analytic fan, but just enjoy what you witnessed because you're probably not going to see it again for quite a while, at least not yeah. from, from this particular team. Yeah, definitely. Definitely may never see it again. And it, it, fairly deep, reasonable chance. It'll be the best game of Lamar's career, not a zero chance. It'll be the best game of Hollywood Brown's career, not zero. It was fantastic. But anyway, I, 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 
just something to love about this in many ways. One of the things I liked about it was that while the defense of the Dolphins is not at the very top tier, it's hardly bad. They have a good secondary. You start with that, or at least we thought they did coming into this game. They obviously got, got pretty well exposed in this one. Uh, the defensive line is not terrible across the board. They lack a, a high-end pass rusher, but they've got a first-round draft pick at defensive tackle. Uh, you know, they had some other guys who were pretty decent on the inside. They have a couple of linebackers that I know the uh, Dolphins guy we had on, Ian Wharton, really liked. So I, I, it's just not that bad a defense. The, the problem is where their offensive line is just a shambles. And that's where I expected them to dominate. And frankly, they they destroyed the secondary more than any group. And they really destroyed the best unit on the entire Dolphins either side of the ball in this game. They absolutely did. And look, you, you have to start with, and, and I heard uh, somebody mention this, you, you have to start with the with the logo that's on every jersey around the league. It says NFL on it, all right? So this is still an NFL-level defense. This is still NFL talent. Uh, you know, was it up to par on Sunday? Clearly not. But again, you mentioned their secondary. I mean, Xavier Howard, one of the highest paid cornerbacks in the league, if not the current highest paid cornerback in the league. And he earned that. Uh, that's that's always a little bit of a market driven sort of number. But he played extremely well last year. Rashad Jones at safety uh, has been a pro bowler a number of times. Mika Fitzpatrick was a first round pick. Very promising. Um, say what you want about Eric Rowe and Jamal Wiltz. Uh, you're not going to get any argument from me there. But again, you mentioned Christian Wilkins, first round pick at defensive tackle. Uh, Jerome Baker, pretty good looking linebacker. Raquan McMillan out of Ohio State a couple of years back, whatever you think about that. But there's NFL talent there, you know, several first round picks. And they were just it, it was a blitzkrieg. Yeah. You know, it was an absolute blitzkrieg. It was a nightmare for Mika Fitzpatrick, who was one of two players last year that I said, damn their needs. If either of these guys is available, I want to get them and forget all those offensive needs. One was Minka Fitzpatrick, and thank goodness we didn't end up with him, I think is is probably what I would say. And the other was Derwin James, and you know my feelings about that, so we don't have to go into it again. But <laughs> Minka Fitzpatrick in this game, six targets, all six completions. I don't remember the yardage, but there were three touchdowns involved in that. And on two other touchdowns, where he was not the target, he was flagged for holding that would have reversed a play had it been incomplete or whatever. So he had a he had a nightmare of a day, just just as bad as you can be. And I'd be surprised if he ever has another game as bad. Yeah, he as much as we just talked about all the superlatives from the Ravens side, he was on the exact opposite end of that spectrum in terms of his performance. And like you just said, I don't know that uh, he could have a game as bad as that as bad as that mm -hmm. uh, again, which was. It really was surprising to me, particularly the coverage part of it, because I just, you know, look, I, I know he's a bit of a hybrid player. He's not a pure corner. He's not a pure safety, uh, can do a little bit of both, but he's a good athlete. Nick Saban raved about him uh, when he was there at Alabama, said he was like another coach on the field, probably the closest thing uh, that he's had to that kind of coach on the field kind of player. And that's saying something, considering mm -hmm. all the guys he's had there at Alabama. And, uh, you know, he played well last year, but this this it just didn't. It just did not go well. And that happens. I mean, you know, guys are going to have bad games, but this was on the extreme spectrum, the extreme end of the spectrum in terms of bad games. Yeah. We got to get the show back on target a little bit because Michael and I just love talking football and we'll go into <laughs> this. And this isn't even on our show outline, but I want to talk about a few other things about Lamar. Maybe shortcut this a little bit because we have other things to talk about on the episode as well. But the accuracy and the trajectory of the football 
not only looked like a big improvement from last season, night and day, frankly, it was a big improvement from camp this year. His, he wasn't all that accurate in camp this year, although he was greatly improved. This every every football looks like it was a nice tight spiral, well thrown. I mean, I just I he, he looks like a completely different quarterback. I, I even before this season started, I talked about how Miles Boykin needs to be a better bad ball catcher to deal with some of that generalized inaccuracy. You'll be in the area, but you won't be right on target of Lamar. And and boy, that wasn't even close to necessary yesterday. All the throws, the one throw on Brown's hip was the only one that was was even a little bit difficult to catch in my mind. Yeah, apparently all of the reported offseason work, some of it's self-reported by Lamar, uh, certainly paid off at least in that game. I mean, he Mm -hmm. talked about working with uh, his high school quarterback coach, Joshua Harris. Uh, I believe he worked with an associate of Tom House. I don't think he worked directly with Tom House, but maybe a guy who who sort of works with Tom. Tom House sort of known for working with uh, Tom Brady sort of earlier in his career. And, um, you know, you heard some of the other things that that even Brent Urban mentioned that he worked with him in terms of finger placement on the ball. It sort of changed how he placed his finger on the ball because he thought that had an impact on his ability to to, to throw the spiral. Uh, and then it's very subtle, but you can see you can see things in sort of his uh, arm placement. You know, he's mm-hmm. he's never going to have that classic over the top delivery, I don't think, like a Tom Brady or. Or, you know, some of those guys that you picture. But for him, and I think that's how you have to judge everything, from Mm -hmm. his personal standard, it's increased a little bit more. And then the footwork, which is something I think everybody talked about last year, and even he talked about, sort of keeping more more width in his base, not getting so narrow, and having to sort of reset and readjust your feet. All of that looked like that was clicking uh, uh, on Sunday, for sure. Yeah, outstanding stuff. Outstanding detail there, and, and we really appreciate you bringing that that scout's point of view back to the show, Michael. I, I, I missed it a lot. One of the things that really stuck with me was the extension of plays was terrific in this game. And you can look, look at the Boykin pass, and I, I definitely want to talk about that at some point. But the other plays in the game were well done both by Jackson, who took more time in the pocket, really set, took his time making throws when in the pocket, didn't feel the need to leave the pocket, and also by the receivers who are continuing to run routes after the route is over in terms of three, three and a half seconds. And they're still trying, and that is just great to see. I just, I, I, That will pay dividends for the rest of this year, I would bet, uh, if that continues. Yeah, and I think what you you see from that is you see the benefit of bringing guys in, younger guys who have worked with Lamar from day one, right? And so they're used to that play style. Um, any any hip hop fans out there? There's this old song from this artist called Rob Bass that says it takes two, right? So it, it, you just laid it out. It takes two, right? It's one thing to have a quarterback who can scramble and extend the play and buy time, but then you need receivers who understand how to adjust based on what the quarterback is doing, right? Keep themselves alive. Uh, and and there's scramble rules. Every team practices that. Mm-hmm. Every team has scramble rules. You know, if the quarterback goes this way, then everybody sort of come back this way, or one guy go deep. They all have those rules. But it takes time to develop just a feel. So it's another layer, right? The rules are one thing, but there's another layer. And that Boykin play is a perfect example, right? Mm-hmm. I don't think that's a practiced play, right? I think it's practiced in the sense that, hey, I may need to buy time. I may need to scramble on some plays. Here's what the called route is. 
here are maybe, you know, uh, some alternate adjustments you can make. And maybe you have two or three of those, but you might not know in every situation exactly which one of those he's going to pick. So the quarterback and the receiver have to be on the exact same page. And, and they were right there because Lamar let that ball go before Boykin even started to turn around and, and sort of, you know, adjust his, his route. What it looked like to me on that play, and, and this is what I saw that was the utter most mature, savvy thing that Lamar did the entire day, was you had two defensive backs covering two receivers on that side of the end zone, okay? And he waited to release that ball despite intense pressure. He waited to release that ball until both defensive backs had their backs turned to him. And then he could throw it to any open part of the field. Boykin was either going to find it or not. But th- neither of those guys were going to make, an, make a play on that football with when they're starting initially with their backs turned to it. it just It was an unbelievably savvy play. And Boykin's ability to get under that was good. But it was really Jackson who it wouldn't have mattered what the rule was. If he has eyes from Boykin and backs from the other two defenders, he's going he's gonna to connect on that throw. Very good observation. Very, very good observation. That is an extremely sort of high level, uh, you know, sort of quarterback play that you mentioned. And you hear that from the top level guys. You hear that from Rodgers. You hear it from Brady. You hear it from Brees. If a DB's back is turned to me and I can't see his eyes, he's my guy's open. Right. Yep. Right. Then he, he's open. Uh, and, and then, you know, it comes down to actually placing the ball, you know, where you need to. But still just the mentality that, hey, once I can see this guy's back, I know my guy's open and I got a chance. And how he drifted back, this was kind of funny to me. And I guess you mm-hmm. got to be my age to get this reference. But it reminded me of the old Tecmo Bowl football game on Nintendo. <laughs> you only got like a 10 yard view of the screen. And so there was this glitch in the game where you could drift back. And let's say you were on like your own your own 40. You could literally drift back all the way to almost your end zone and then throw the ball. And then the screen has to update like in 10 yard increments at a time. <laughs> your guy jumps up and catches the ball. And I'm like, wow. Wow, this is uh, this is great. Now, look, I know some people said that that may not always work out, right? Because he had several plays where he sort of drifted back like that, and and he was able to make it work, and and that doesn't always work out. Uh, but it worked out on Sunday, right? I, I only really saw one play, and that was the the a pass that was tipped up, caught by Snead. I think called back on a holding call by Stanley, if I recall correctly, what the penalty was. It was on the right sideline where he really took a chance with the football. I yeah, thought otherwise I, he was outstanding. Agreed. I remember that play. That was that was a risky one. There was coverage there. And that was almost like, well, hey, everything else is working today. You know, it's like in basketball. Like, it's a heat check. Right. You're just mm-hmm. like, well, let me see. Maybe I can get away with this one, too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's let's say uh, do you want to pick another play? I, I, I kind of had this on the outline here that you'd just like to talk about and what went right on it before we move on from Jackson. Yeah. And I'll, and I'll take one that I don't you know, it, it wasn't a big touchdown it wasn't you know a uh, super long in in terms of death down the field even though it ended up being a 21 yard catch by mark andrews so it was a mm-hmm. third and 14 play uh in the third quarter you know you're backed up uh in your own territory and the dolphins were in zone coverage but the reason i like that play so much is because of the situation uh and i think i, I tweeted out a clip of this recently too right so it's an obvious passing situation you're backed up it's third and long uh, he stands and delivers in the pocket on time, three-step drop with a hitch, balls out, right? In the seam, two Andrews in the void in between the zone. Not, not that, you know, the zone coverage was great on that play, but still the ball was right where it needed to be on time, allowed Andrews to gain 
Um, I don't know how many yards he got after that, after the, you know, where he actually caught the ball, but there was some yak involved there. So to me, that was one of my favorite plays, even though it's not a highlight play per se, even though I guess the 21 yard catch mm-hmm. is, is, a, is a pretty big play, but just because of the situation, that one is one of the, one of the throws that I really liked. Yeah. 13 plus eight on that play for the, for the yak involved. Uh, okay. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to talk about one more because I don't think we could have this episode and not really talk about the. 47 yard pass the first one to brown so that was it was 10 plus 37 yak a lot of things i loved about it but it wasn't exactly a slant route i don't know if you've you've probably watched it 20 times now i'm guessing michael but uh but it was it was almost like an in cut uh where he then took it to the house the ball was not perfectly thrown it was kind of thrown on his hip not leading him the way i would expect him to but Brown went down, you know, maybe almost mid-thigh to pick that ball up, did not break stride in any way, took it to the house. If if he can help Lamar out to that little bit, and that was one of his most inaccurate passes of the day, meaning that's pretty fantastic when you, you go for a 47-yard touchdown on, your, on a pass like that. But if Brown can help him out to that degree, he is going to be really worth the number one draft pick because he's a... Uh, he appears to be from this game a very, very special cat in terms of what he can do after he's got the ball. And part of that is making sure that when you catch the ball, you're not compromising your own ability to get yak, not just not just having the quarterback be responsible for that. Yeah, uh, by all accounts, and it's one game, so we always have to, you know, sort of pump the brakes in that fashion. But by all accounts, Hollywood is as advertised, right? And the thing to me that uh, is even a little more exciting is there's a better than average chance he's not 100% healthy yet. And, mm-hmm. you know, he still has rare, rare speed. Uh, but the other thing that you mentioned, and we saw a little bit of this uh, in, in the preseason when he played a little bit against the Eagles, is just how good his hands are. I mean, he made some catches in that Eagles game where he's really got to extend away from his body and really snatch the ball or the play that you just mentioned against Miami, having to adjust to a ball that's kind of a little bit behind you on your back hip and a little bit low. Uh, and that's a tough throw from Lamar. That sort of RPO throw where you got to have yes. that mesh with the running back and then get the ball back up quickly and get it out quickly. Uh, it's hard to be really accurate with that throw. And, and, and it wasn't super accurate, like you mentioned, but uh, beautiful adjustment from from Hollywood and then uh you know what what he was uh blessed with in the in the womb took over from from that point on all right fantastic and uh I guess maybe we move on at this point we're uh we're kind of baking through this and just enjoying it I know we I know we're always at risk of going an hour and 40 when you and I talk especially after a 59 10 win we're talking about the offense I just told Maureen she probably shouldn't wait up to watch some episode of Silicon Valley we want to watch tonight this is uh <laughs> This is where we're going to end up. Ample time and space on the day is something I think was a little bit overblown on the broadcast. So Jackson dropped back to throw 21 times in the game, but he only had eight that were ample time and space opportunities. That as a as a for a set for an entire game, eight out of 21 is not exceptional, 38 percent. But it was he was a victim of his own success in that regard. So I'm going to give you the plays as they started out. And you tell me where, as a defensive coordinator, you might feel the need to make a change. So the first play, seven-yard play, ball out quick. Second play, three-yard play, ball out quick. So far, we're okay. Though, you know, you want to avoid the completions. Okay, then 
A 47-yard touchdown pass with ample time and space. Ample time and space again, 83-yard touchdown pass. Ample time and space again, 9-yard play. Ample time and space again, 14-yard play. Ample time and space again, 33-yard touchdown pass. So those are the first seven throws of the game. At that point, the decision was made that Lamar Jackson would not be given ample time and space very often for the remainder of this game. The, the Dolphins dialed up more in the way of blitzes, in the way of scheme to get pressure, because they weren't getting it done initially, obviously. And they, they, they dropped off any three-man pass rushes, which they had done on the, uh, on the 83-yard route. Uh, but anyway, they did a lot more, and they, they did only allow him three out of 14 ample time and spaces the remainder of, the, of his time in the game. So uh, I thought that was an interesting change and one that wasn't completely factored in what was said on the broadcast. Obviously, the damage had been done at that point. But yeah, it had. Uh, and, and, you know, look, you, you got to give uh, the Miami defensive coaches, you know, look, what, what, what do you do at that point? Right. You got to you got to come up with something. I mean, you go in with a game plan, you go in with calls that that you think you want to use. And then, like you mentioned, when when you have those outcomes on the first seven throws and it's like, you know what? Uh, we're going to we're going to start we're going to start bringing what Herm Edwards called the casino blitz. Right. Because yeah. sometimes you hit and sometimes you don't. Right. So you rush you rush seven. It's cover zero. It's man to man coverage in, in, in the secondary four guys. And, um, you know, I'm charting uh, some the run plays this year for another little side project I'm working on. So I haven't studied all of the passes in depth. Obviously, I watched the highlights, but uh, some of what I've looked at so far, I did see some of that cover zero pressure. And, you know, credit to Lamar for. Uh, not only recognizing the pressure, obviously it's pretty hard not to recognize seven guys coming at you, but finding the appropriate mismatch and getting the ball there on time and accurately. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so credit to him for doing that. And another thing I wanted to ask you about this, cause you probably noticed this because I, I, I know you, you've done some of your scoring already. Uh, ben Fennell on Twitter, who's a great follow by the way, at, I think it's at Ben Fennell NFL. He mentioned that uh, that Ravens first drive, some of their personnel counts, tw- like 22 personnel, 21 personnel, 13 personnel, all, you know, pretty heavy packages. And mm-hmm. I think he said on that first drive versus all of those heavy personnel settings, Miami was in the nickel in every one of those, <laughs> which he thought was very unusual, considering the Ravens are coming out with like two tight ends or running back and a fullback and Miami is still coming out in nickel. And I, I didn't know if that I know we're again getting off the road. Uh, I'm looking at it right now. So on the second and three play, which is run right 11, they had two tight ends on that play and then it passed right for three on the fourth play with two tight ends. And then they didn't have two tight ends again until the final one yard plunge where they had zero 32 on the field, three tight ends and two running backs. So they didn't really have the – I, I don't agree with the heavy personnel. They had three wide receivers or four wide receivers on the, on the field once. And when I say that, that's four guys split wide right. and three wide receivers on, on three other plays in, in a 311 formation, whether that means that they were actually wide receivers or it was Andrews and two wide receivers, which it could have been. Right. So I'm I'm not saying that Fennel isn't correct that he looked at the at the tight ends that came into the game, but Miami has probably looked at that and stayed with the nickel because they treated Mark Andrews like a like a wide receiver and not a tight end for their package determination would be my guess. Yeah, and that's what I saw too. You saw him matched up a lot with either Minka or Rashad Jones or even Jamal Wilts that I mentioned. Um, and and anything that's off on that, attribute that to me, not to Ben. Ben Ben. I probably totally mischaracterized that, so attribute that to me and not Ben. But yeah, that that I I I totally agree with you, and and I think that you saw them 
treat Andrews more like a big receiver, and I'm sure other teams will do the same. Probably. Probably. I wanted to mention one other thing about ample time and space before we go. So th- these statistics are just so outrageous. They had 13 amp- not ample time and space opportunities, as I mentioned, threw for 130 net yards on those. That is 10 yards per throw with not ample time and space. Now, that doesn't mean he was pressured on every single one of them because some of them were ball out quick. But it means that a three second pocket was not going to persist on those 13 plays. And that is really outstanding. One TD, no interceptions. Uh, he did have a sack for, for minus one yards of, uh, on a busted play that we remember, but, but 10, 10 yards per play. With ample time and space, seven of eight, 193 yards, four TDs, no interceptions, 24.1 yards per throw with ample time and space. I have never seen anything like it. I, Flacco's been occasionally, I believe, to 10 yards per throw without ample time and space in his career, had a couple of uh, games like that, but it's been very rare. And to have both numbers so high in one game is astounding. And that leads me to a final point about this. Based on Flacco's averages for 2009 through 17, and admittedly that's, that's not a high standard, it's a fairly low standard, Jackson would have been expected to throw for 119 yards net given that opportunity set. He actually threw for 323, which is 204 more than his expectation. During that entire period that I collected that data for Flacco, he never had a single game as good in terms of beating his expectation by that kind of level, even with many more passes. And when you think about this, Jackson beat it by 204 yards over only 21 dropbacks, which is just beyond astounding. Yeah, I, I can't add anything more uh, to to make that point. Uh, Lamar said it best himself. Not bad for a running back, huh? <laughs> <laughs> All righty. Okay, well, this is a point of the show where we normally go through the offensive line scoring. I'm going to go through quickly, and then I, I, I'll, I'll on each player, let's make sure you make your comments about what you saw with him, and, uh, and, and we'll talk through that. Uh, Ronnie, the offensive line generally had a pretty good game, obviously, in terms of not making big mistakes. They, they did, they were not responsible for that one sack. That was a a general play breakdown where Jackson made a play action handoff to no one on the wrong side as they were zone blocking the left. I put, you probably saw it, but, but yeah, (laughs) weird play, but, uh, but they didn't allow the quarterback to be hit on any other plays. So great game for the offensive line. They, They penalized only twice. Those both went to Ronnie Stanley who had the two holding calls that kind of ruined his grade. But otherwise, I thought Ronnie Stanley was pretty good. And you may have noticed on the on the broadcast that he was really looking at the video board and obviously frustrated about that second holding call. That, that he, It was a pressure allowed, no doubt about it. He allowed the guy to, to, to walk by the pocket effectively as he was kind of pushing him to the ground, and then he let up. And... No apparent jersey grab or anything. It was just it just looked like he was pushing him and by him, and he t- took his hands off. And you know he was obviously very upset with the penalty. I think rightfully so. It should have been a pressure, but it but it shouldn't have been a a, a hold on the play. Uh, he did miss six blocks, but I thought he did a good job most of the time in making a contribution in level two or on the backside of the run plays, which were mostly run to that right side with Bozeman pulling. Yeah, I, I think that as we go through the rest of the O-line, I'll, I'll touch on Ronnie, too. Like you said, I, I think he had an overall good game, kind of shadowed by those two holding calls. And like you said, one of them pretty ticky-tack, in my opinion, too. I agree with you. But, you know, it's the way they called it. But overall, a pretty good game. But 
I think, and I'll be interested to hear um, your your take on it too, but I think, you know, you hear coaches come out of games like this and say, well, yeah, it was great and this was great, but we can still find little things that we can improve on. I think the O-line is one of those areas mm-hmm. that they probably on Monday was like, look, guys, this was great. Over 100 yards rushing, all this great stuff we did through the air. But there were things that you could see with individual performances where there's some area for improvement. Yeah, absolutely. And as we go through this, I think I think we'll agree on that. Um, one of the Ronnie Stanley play I wanted to point out, and I, I hate to go back to every single one of these, but on the 83-yard touchdown pass, Lamar took a long time in the pocket on that play. On that play, Ronnie Stanley pancake Godshow, I believe it was, at uh, the, the defensive tackle. And he wasn't really getting up very quickly. As it happened, Stanley waved back to Jackson to motion him to follow him on a run left. Fortunately, <laughs> Jackson didn't take the bait, kept his eyes downfield, delivered the strike to Brown. 83 yards later, the, you know, the Ravens have another touchdown. But that was it was just a pretty cool play all the way around. Three and a half seconds on that throw, 3.50 as I timed it, which is a long time to deliver a long pass. And you know this, Michael, but most long passes are delivered with that artillery-like trajectory. You attempt to hit that receiver between 41 and 43 yards downfield, you know, in the old Bill Walsh type type thoughts. And, and when you do that, you typically have the ball out of your hand in less than two and a half seconds or maybe 2.6 seconds. And I might be might be slightly off on that. But anyway, 3.5 is a hell of a long time to wait in the pocket to deliver that ball. And he delivered it with a flatter trajectory. It was a, a very strong throw and and it easily met the bucket standard, obviously, for Brown to haul it in easily and take it the rest of the way. Yeah. And even just watching it, you know, during the broadcast, uh, not only going back and look at the coaches film, but just watching it during the broadcast, it stands out to you because you just don't see many throws where the quarterback literally is just standing there, mm-hmm. you know, just patting his patting the ball, you know, sort of sort of chopping his feet. He's just waiting. He's just waiting. He's just waiting. <laughs> and then he lets the ball go. And thankfully, like you said, even though I appreciate uh, the assist, the, 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 you know, potential assist from Ronnie, thank, thankfully Lamar treated Ronnie like a lot of his critics this offseason. <laughs> said, you know what? No, thanks. I'm going to stand in here and throw the ball. Way to ignore. All right. So anyway, Ronnie, a D-plus for the game. Uh, would have been a solid C if that ticky-tack holding call had just been a pressure. So uh, that's that's kind of the way I look at it. You could you could call it a C if you wanted to, and I wouldn't object to the description of the game. And that's not a bad score, you know, in the generalized scheme of things. Let's move on to Bradley Bozeman. Um, he had the start at left guard. we got to treat Bradley as not a complete newcomer. He had 230 snaps. They were all at guard last year. Scored, that's scored snaps. He played more than that, including penalties. Um, they kept him under wraps until the last moment. Uh, I, I heard about it about two hours before game time. I, I would estimate when I think it might've been Hensley tweeted about it. Uh, but he delivered a very solid start. It was a heavy reliance on mobility. Wasn't without warts. And we'll talk about that, but 14 pulls, 12 of which on which he connected. And those led some of the game's biggest run plays, including that 49 yard run to open the season by Ingram. And that number of pulls, and I know you you probably already yeah have looked at this. That's got to be up there near the tops in terms of yeah. you know Ravens O lineman uh, O offensive lineman who who've pulled. Yes, absolutely. And you know the, the game I always point out for an individual when the Ravens ran the ball 52 times against the Patriots in the 2009 wild card game at New England, Yonda pulled 19 times and hit on 15. Mm. And 
you know, this is they had a game recently, I think, with either 21 or 23 that were split between two guards. And it was when Hurst in 2017 was at left guard. They also had another left guard in on that game. And I'm trying to remember who it was. Who, who got a fair number of polls as well. So they ended up with, I forget if it might have been 21 in that game, uh, to, to have a, a higher team total from one position. But yeah, 14 polls is astounding for one game. Yeah, and I thought, like you mentioned, Bradley acquitted himself very well. Um, you know, there were there was some targeting issues at times in, in, in terms of lining, lining guys up in level two and, and sustaining uh, those blocks. And it, again, I, I always call back to this thing that Jeff Rebeck mentioned to me about some of the coaches thinking that maybe he was on the ground a little bit yeah. too much uh, last year. And and it's something that I've tried to pay a little bit more attention to uh, ever since Jeff mentioned that. And I think you see it at times, you know, I, I got to admit, I really didn't look at it a lot last year. I wasn't looking for it, but now I've noticed it a few times and you know, better than most. I mean, look, there's, there's, there's a lot of bodies. There's a lot going on. You can mm-hmm. easily trip on somebody's foot or step or whatever, but I thought overall, um, you know, for again, like you said, it's not like he's never played there. So we can't treat him as a brand new starter. But mm-hmm. I thought he played pretty well, uh, uh, you know, considering uh, the fact that he's not been a long time starter. Let's say it that way. Right. I, I have to I have to go into my my concern about him was he missed 10 blocks in this game. And it wasn't a lot of slipping, tripping. You know, he missed a couple cut blocks, which would be times where he went to the ground. But they were just missed cut blocks. Um, he had some trouble, I thought, being quick enough to patrol the gaps on either side. Like there was, there was some exploitation of him. Uh, one, one by blitz uh, that I caught specifically. He give up. He did give up two and a half pressures in the game. Uh, so that's something, you know, in a game like this where there's not all that much passing to give up to give up two and a half pressures. Uh, but the ten missed blocks are troubling, and and eight of those blocks were misses at the line of scrimmage. Two others were on pulls and they weren't as serious. So you miss you when you pull around and particularly if you get into level two and you can't find anyone to block, okay, it's a missed opportunity, but it's not a it's not a big negative in terms of how you've impacted your team. When you miss a block at the line of scrimmage and you get shed by a defensive lineman and that guy gets into the backfield or he penetrates to either side of you for some reason, that's a much more serious potential error. And those eight that occurred in this game of that type concern me in terms of how we would project forward for Bozeman, it, it, you know, assuming he's going to stay at left guard, which I don't see any reason why he wouldn't next week at the very least. Absolutely. That that number of eight is concerning and something to definitely keep an eye on because uh, it didn't hurt them in this game. Right. Mm-hmm. But against a different level of opponent, uh, different game situation, it could be very problematic. So, yeah, it's, it's definitely something to watch. Yeah, the Ravens, in fact, gained 60 yards on the two full pressures he allowed. A 21 and a 39-yard pass, so that bad. worked out okay. Yeah, It's not bad. <laughs> but again, you, you're, you're, anyway, we understand. Let's move on to Matt Skura. He had a solid opener, and we had uh, Gordon from PFF on the show and uh, uh, to talk about the defense. And I just I was talking with him after the show and, and noticing what grade they'd given him, and they, they, they did make some changes, but they apparently had Skura for some bad – snaps, um, which is is the cause of a fairly low pass blocking score on their site. So it's not necessarily indicative of actual pass blocking, but snapping. Now, I'm not saying they shouldn't have a rating for that. I'm just saying it'd be nice if there was a way to separate that and we could look at it transparently to see what how much was his blocking and how much was his, was his uh, snaps. So anyway, I thought he played pretty well. A couple shared pressures in this game, one with Yanda, one with Bozeman. Uh, he appeared to get tripped up by Macari on a play that involved a penetration. 
the only thing I really looked at from Skur in this game and, and thought maybe we got a problem here, or maybe this is something to keep an eye on, he missed six blocks, which is a lot for a center. Uh, you, they don't often miss six blocks in a game, and every single one of those was a loss at the line of scrimmage. So that really has to be a tendency to be monitored. If he was moving into level two, like we said with Bozeman, missing blocks there, I wouldn't be worried at all if half of them came that way. But to miss six at the line of scrimmage is kind of a problem, and I'm sure that that'll be a that'll be a focus, as you said, on film. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I think you know one thing that you hear a lot. Uh, it's kind of a cliche now, right? This time of year, especially week one, is that defenses are typically ahead of offenses. Uh, in terms of chemistry and sort of, you know, coordination. And even though I guess four of the five guys on the online uh, on the O line actually started last year, started, a, you know, the majority of the games. And like you said, uh, Bozeman, you know, had, you know, a fair amount of snaps, too. Again, it's probably the the first time this year, obviously the first time in regular season game situation that those five guys have worked together that extensively. Of course, there's practice and, and we don't get to see that, you know, once they close it off to the to the public. So uh, they are obviously working together there. But in a game situation where the, the environment is chaotic, right, there are things that you practice for, uh, things that you have your scout team give you certain kind of looks, but then they're going to be things that you don't expect and you just have to react. So I think it takes some time to sort of develop that coordination and that cohesion. And I'm really, really glad to hear that explanation uh, from Gordon about score scores. I think it was like a 33 or something initially. And then I think they corrected it to a 54. I was sort of wondering like why it was so low initially, because like you mentioned, I didn't think he had a terrible game, but if it was due to maybe some, some wayward snaps, then, you know, that's something I could go back and look at and, and they would probably make a lot more sense. I, I noticed one when I went back through it. I, 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 we don't want to beat on PFF. They were very good. They came yes. on the show, and we, you know, we're, we're, uh, we're good about that. I'm just, they were very transparent with me overnight. And so Ben, ben Stockwell and Gordon were both in contact multiple times going back and forth to explain. I sent in, hey, here's the plays that, that didn't work from my perspective in terms of these two shared penetrations. They didn't have that on their list. But they went through it with me, and they, they just extremely – good about being transparent if you go to them with your own information about here's how I scored it play by play kind of thing. Yeah, and I'm certainly not going to bad mouth them. I mean, look, there there are a lot of people who have their own opinions about mm -hmm. their grades and their grading system, but guess what? Uh they've put this whole thing together and have become a market leader. So, yes. I got nothing but a ton of respect for all those guys uh yeah. and what and what they've built. They're they're going to put a lot of a lot of offensive linemen in the Hall of Fame a lot sooner than they otherwise might have gotten there. Yeah. So, See, great point. Great point. Yeah. Uh, anyway, let's let's move on here. Uh, happy enough with Skura's game, a B minus after adjustment at center. I, I, you know, from from my money, and I'm not grading the snaps themselves. If one had gotten away from the quarterback, I would have. I would have docked him on the on the adjustment to get it. But his his score on a raw basis was pretty good. So B minus, I'm I'm happy with. And and if he played that game every game the whole year, I'd frankly be very happy. So, uh, you know, I, we're going to I'm going to differ from PFF on that particular one. Marshall, uh, he continues to be now the front gate opener on those Ravens power runs, which is a terrifically important job. Obviously, he's not doing much in terms of mobility himself anymore. Had three blocks in level two. He didn't have a pancake, didn't have a highlight. A lot of the highlights that Yonda got in the past were these great combination blocks where he'd tee somebody up for, for Skura or for Brown or for whoever was playing center or, or tackle at the time, move to level two, make another block to, to clear more space. He just does not seem to be the guy who's going to be doing that going forward. Maybe he's 
maybe it's a little slower, or maybe we'll see Yanda back to being what we remember Yanda being two years ago, say, next week. I really don't have a way to say, but the overall value is still fantastic. I'm only for one missed block, two half pressures, 0.90 per play, and an A with adjustment. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, I, I feel like I do him a disservice sometimes by by being so curt, but Yanda is Yanda, you know. I mean, the standard is so high, and he's so consistently good that you just expect going into games that he's just going to come out and just deliver these these top-level performances every single time, and he rarely, rarely disappoints you. Yeah. All right. I mean, it's the, it's, it's, he's regularly the shortest paragraph that I write in the offensive line article because there's just not that much to talk about. He doesn't miss blocks, so I don't have a bunch of, you know, dissecting the missed blocks he had. He rarely gives up a pass rush event. I talk about that, but that's that's it. And, uh, you know, anyway, another A for Yanda, another day at the office. Great, great on the power runs to the right in terms of getting the gate opened up on one side. And he had help sometimes with, on a seal from Orlando Brown, who I thought really had the best game of all the offensive alignment. Yeah, I mean, look, you and I talked in the preseason, and we both had some concerns mm-hmm. about what we saw from from Orlando in the preseason. It, it I don't know. It, well, well, okay, so I won't put words in your mouth. For me, I was almost on the side of is he taking a step back in mm-hmm. terms of development from last year to what I'm seeing in the preseason? But then this game erased all of that. Uh, yeah. it, it makes me feel like, okay, maybe it was just a preseason. <laughs> so, you know, I, I don't know if it's that simple. Maybe he was dealing with something. Uh, you know, obviously they don't give you a lot of injury information in the preseason like they do in the regular season. Maybe he was dealing with something. Maybe he was working on some new things, trying to incorporate some new things. Maybe he's still playing his way back into shape because we knew he kind of spent a little time maybe in the doghouse a little bit in the preseason. Who knows? Any, any number one of those things, maybe even other things. But, uh, was very consistent uh, on Sunday uh, versus the Dolphins. And again, people are going to talk about level of competition and the guys that he matched up with. Hey, that's all fine. You're entitled to that. But all he can do is go out and execute against the guys that are lined up across from him, right? He doesn't get to pick the opponent. This is, that's that's just the way it is. And that's exactly what he did. Yeah, I, 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 I agree with absolutely everything you said, particularly in terms of the preseason. Orlando Brown played a lot this preseason. He played a lot in the 2018 preseason as well as a rookie. He might have led the NFL in preseason snaps or been close, but he he was he played a ton for a veteran offensive lineman in his second year. He did not get the starter treatment. Part of that was due to the fact that the Ravens were so shorthanded at tackle. You know, Sanat missed a game, and and then you know the guys behind him were terrible. I mean, Marcus Applefield uh, was in at left tackle, risking the quarterback's life, and at right tackle they had Prince. Uh, available who, you know, honestly, I don't believe was ever a candidate to make the practice squad. Uh, he didn't make the practice squad, did he? I'm not wrong about that, am I? Uh, RJ Prince, you know what? I That's a good question. I would have to check. I can't recall off the top of my head whether he did or he didn't. That's a okay. good question. I'd have to double check that. Anyway, he looked pretty bad at right tackle during the preseason. So if if the Ravens are ever forced to go to him, it would be a, uh, it would be a difficult adjustment for the offense to make if that uh, if that happened uh but anyway brown played a ton this preseason and uh, you know i i'm with you i don't think he really played that well this game the thing that really sticks out and he ran a lot to the right which means that'll reduce the right tackles risk of missing blocks because he's not put on the back side of the run play very often but he only had one missed block and so that meant he's connecting on those seals he needs to he's hitting that scraping linebacker along the line of scrimmage 
when he needs to seal. He's he's connecting on his kickouts, which are probably a little bit more challenging depending on who the who the player is that he's trying to connect with there. And he just did a great job on that. I, I did have him for half a penetration on kind of an ugly play later in the game. One half a pressure also, which is very low for a right tackle in particular. 0.93 per play, an A with or without adjustment. I've just did just an outstanding overall game. Yeah, gotta 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 feel a lot better uh, about about him uh, after that performance uh, compared to how I was feeling about the preseason. And just another reminder, I always have to give myself that reminder about how much emphasis or how much I take away from the preseason mm-hmm. because it really can fool you both ways, right? Positively and negatively, it can really fool you. So. Uh, that's always a reminder for me that, hey, it's important. It does matter. It's more important and it matters more for certain guys on the roster than other guys. But you always need to sort of level set yourself and not, you know, go too, too far uh, one way or the other with what you're saying. Fair enough. All right. So let's move on. Patrick McCarry got in the game for the last two series. So he played the whole fourth quarter which gave him 22 snaps. Not bad in terms of a opportunity to show himself. Unfortunately, he wasn't particularly impressive during that time. Uh, he did allow a pressure on a bull rush to Wilkins. So Wilkins is a hell of a player, you know, a first round draft pick, obviously. So not the worst kind of pressure to give up. He gave a quarter share on a penetration uh, that I've got detailed in the article. If you want to go see that uh, three other missed blocks. And I, I, that was, you know, that's a level of concern for only 22 blocks. That's an awful lot of misses. And uh, D overall in his performance, he barely met the grade minimum. So, uh, you know, unfortunately, he has to, he has to deal with that. So, you know, not a great game for Makari. Anything to say about him? Well, like we said, one of those 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 situations where there's some area for improvement. And I think the thing to always keep in mind with Patrick is he's making a position change at the professional level. Uh, that's always something that I think as fans, we kind of, you know, sort of undervalue just, well, this guy, you know, he's on the offensive line. Yeah, he can move from tackle to guard or guard to center. Why not? But you're doing this against the absolute highest level of competition, regardless of what you think about Miami from Sunday, just in terms of what these guys do in the context of what everybody else in the world could potentially do if they had a chance to do that. They're the absolute best. So uh, I, I I give him you know, some of that in terms of needing some time to to kind of develop. And again, he's, he's you know, a rookie, too. So all of that, you know, sort of baked into, to, you know, his performance uh, doesn't excuse it. But, you know, it's just a layer of context. I, I, I think you add to that. Right. Now you're, you're a lawyer. So tackle garden center to you could be like uh, tax law, contract law and litigation. And you'd see <laughs> a fair amount of difference between those three, I think, in, in terms of. Absolutely. We're talking about billables here. Big difference. Yeah. <laughs> And I think in, in Makari's case in particular, uh, there probably is even some difference between left guard and right guard. He spent a lot of his time at left guard during the preseason. And if when your when your polls are going largely from left to right due to the right handed nature of the Ravens and, and you know having Orlando Brown on the right side and Yonda on the right side that they want doing specific things, it's it, it's even more of a position change. Even between left guard and right guard is a is a not insignificant change. So anyway, we'll we'll look. Hopefully, you know, he takes a step forward. Um, I, I frankly have not been tremendously impressed with his with his work so far, preseason and regular season. I know a lot of people are raving about him. I'm still waiting to see it in terms of 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 him really doing something that's that's terrifically impressive. He's been not terrible was not terrible as a pass blocker during the preseason, but. Uh, you know, I hope the Ravens have made the right choice in in keep, keeping him instead of 
you know, another guard on the roster, or even trying to go out and get one uh, on the market. All right, let's go. Let's go on for James Hurst here. He played left tackle. Final drive only made twelve out of thirteen blocks. One of the things I liked about Hurst was that was one of the things I didn't like about Makari is that he really took advantage of a very tired Dolphins unit. That you know, the announcers are even saying they may have given up on that final drive. Well, I you know, the Ravens won the snap count battle seventy three to forty seven in this game. They didn't have to give up. They, they they're entitled to be tired from the heat by that point. And there were a lot of hands on hips along that Miami defensive front as the Ravens had those two long fourth quarter drives, including the final eight minutes. And, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if some of the things we've heard from pro football talk were related to how difficult it really is to play under those conditions when you don't think the rest of your team, you don't think the coaches are trying to field a team that is competitive or the the front office and the coaches. Yeah, it's got to be a really tough position to be in, particularly if you're a veteran, right? That's got to be extremely difficult because you know just how short an NFL career is. And depending on where you are in your particular career, you know, maybe you're thinking you've got one or two or maybe three years left. And, you know, all of these guys are competitors and they get into this and they do this because they want to win. None of them do this because they're okay with losing, right? And so... I think it's it's really difficult from a player's perspective to be okay with this strategy. I mean, from a front office's you know perspective, and from an organizational perspective, you totally get it, right? You're you're moving current assets and and trading them for future resources and mm-hmm. future opportunities, and and we get it, and we've seen teams pull that off successfully, but it takes time. But in the moment, you can't blame guys for being you know very upset because again, they don't know you know how how much time that they have left. Right. And so every opportunity really is precious and things change really quickly. Just look at Jacksonville with Nick Foles. I mean, things can, can happen, can change on one play. And so you don't want to go into a situation thinking that we're not really putting ourselves, the organization really isn't putting us in the best opportunity to have success. It's gotta be tough. It's gotta be extremely tough to deal with. And uh, just, just to touch, I got way off. I'm sorry there, but just to touch on James Hurst, you, you would expect that from James, right? At that point in the game, a veteran guy Mm -hmm. coming in at the end of the guy against, uh, at the end of the game against the line, like you said, is deserve, you know, deservedly and understandably tired uh, in terms of that heat and that number of snaps. And then him, probably also too going up against some younger players you would expect him to be solid and perform well in that situation I, I would and I'm still happy to see it because you know we've had questions about Hurst from injuries last year in the second half from effectiveness at left tackle during the preseason that I think precluded him from really being an option there you know I think on the plus side one of the reasons that that Greg Sanat was kept on the roster was because the team really doesn't trust James Hurst to be the left tackle if something were to happen. Yeah. And, you know, I don't I don't know if they'd move Orlando Brown there. I think that Sanat would be the guy. They'd, they'd try and keep one position. They'd keep their power run game going to the right. And Sanat seems to have that prototype right tackle, or, sorry, left tackle, body, feet, you know, that you like, length, uh, to, uh, to to play well there. But I think the team is, I think the team basically has said they're moving on from, from James Hurst at left tackle, other than, hey, we want to give Ronnie Stanley a rest at, in the fourth quarter of this game. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think probably all along, the role that James is in now is what they would ideally want from him, right? Mm-hmm. Backup, swing man. I think ideally that's really the role that they see him as the best fit in. Obviously, he had that one pretty solid year at guard mm-hmm. uh, 
you know, back in 2017. And that, that probably came as a pleasant surprise. And, and, and if they could get that repeatedly, obviously they take it. But I think they know that they probably can't get it repeatedly. And so this is this is the role that probably best fits him. Yep. OK, well, let's go on and talk to, about other skill position players, because we talked about some of this and some of the things we talked about, Jackson and the individual plays and whatnot. But is there any other skill position you'd like to talk a skill position player you'd like to talk about in this that you said, you know, I really loved what I saw? Yeah, and this is probably going to be pretty boring for folks. So I'm just going to give you that uh, that sort of pre-warning. But uh, Hayden Hurst, uh, Hayden Hurst and Nick Boyle, actually, I'll throw them both in there. Mm-hmm. But more so Hayden Hurst, because although Hayden maybe didn't have any, the, the big impact in the passing game, certainly not the impact that Mark Andrews had, what I saw, and I guess this stands out to me again because I chart the run game, is him being used more at the point of attack as a blocker, right, against defensive linemen, right? So last year you saw a lot of him sort of being used to block uh, sort of secondary run support kind of players, DBs, safeties, corners, uh, that kind of thing, linebackers too at times. But very rarely would they ask him to, you know, go 1v1 versus a DN. That's Nick Boyle territory, right? That's what he does and does it extremely well. But they used Hayden in, in that role more in this game as the game progressed, you know, once they sort of pulled Nick out and and, and sort of let Hayden and, and Mark get more snaps, and he acquitted himself very well, I thought, in 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 uh, that capacity. And so I know everybody wants to see him, you know, sort of take the next step as a pass catcher because he was a first round pick, and and I kind of want that too. But uh, I was really happy to see that, you know, sort of development step in terms of a blocker in that role because last year. Uh, I thought he really kind of struggled at that point of attack, you know, sort of spot against against defensive linemen. Yeah, very key for him to get on the field more is for him to be effective in the blocking role. And that's one of the things I really look at is how the snaps are being divided at tight end because they have three very capable players. They had 70 snaps in this game, 43 Boyle, 43 Hurst. So they were both getting about 60 percent of the snacks, slightly less, but 32 for Andrews. So he was fairly much of a specialist receiver in this game and you know no problem with that by the way fresh receivers are gold to have on the field and you know he got in for one series and basically Lamar threw in the ball every single play at the end in that third quarter to uh to move the ball right down the field so it, it's not like it's a bad thing or anything but uh but I'm very I'm happy with you again that Hurst uh Hurst is picking up some playing time and uh you know if he's even if he's not going to be the receiver we all hoped he would be which you know we've got to start admitting at some point maybe by the end of this year that that might not might never happen if he if he catches 28 balls this year i think we got to suddenly be worried about we're never really going to get the true receiver we'd hope to in the first round but he could still help the team as a blocker and you can't give up on that pick or with, or they won't give up on that pick let me say just because he's become 120% of the blocker they hoped and 80% of the receiver yeah. And, and again, I, I think you do have to start to begin to sort of adjust your your expectations. And maybe we should have always done that because, you know, what we're seeing more and more of is Mark Andrews is just a special player. I mean, mm-hmm. he's just a special guy in terms of that body type being able to move the way that he does. And again, you hit on it. I mean, his snaps really sort of show the coaches almost think of him that way as like a very you know specialized big receiver. And we don't need yeah. to have him out here for the same number of snaps that we have those guys out for, because we're not going to ask him to do the same things that we ask those guys to do, because that's not what he does best. So I actually really like that. I love when coaches realize the kind of player that they have 
and put them in situations to have success and don't try to, you know, square peg, round hole kind of thing. Yeah, and I love that. I hate, I hate, I've really hated it, obviously, in the years of, of Jefferson and Weddle being at safety, not specializing their roles more. And this is a very similar case in terms of, of Andrews and Hurst. And you can see that's the way the Dolphins treated it. You mentioned it on that first, very first drive is their packages were, and I don't, I didn't actually chart when Andrews was in the game on that first drive, but Given the number of tight ends as they lined up, I'm guessing that Andrews was in there as a receiver on some of those plays, and that was what Fennel was seeing in terms of the of the the response nickel package that the that the Dolphins had. Absolutely. All right. I, I I guess you know we talked about Marquise Brown and the special things he did in terms of finding the football in the air. I thought the other thing we didn't mention yet was that incredible savvy move he made on each touchdown catch. The, the, the first one to pick the ball up and not lose stride, not lose his momentum, keep his, you know, he could have been ahead and not quite as fast as he was. And he still wasn't going to get caught for a touchdown, but didn't lose any of his momentum as he caught that ball and hauled it in was special. The other one on the 83, what I thought was really special was the move after the, the, the diagonal move towards the end zone after he was somebody had nearly caught him from behind. And I've seen that from Jamal Lewis in the past, you know, a big running back, obviously very fast, but there, but there are defensive backs who were just as fast as him. And he could shake a defensive back like nobody's business doing that. And, and to see Brown do it as a receiver, just extraordinary. It was. And, and I think that's a really good observation too, because what was the biggest concern that people had about him aside from the, you know, how he might recover from the injury was his size. Mm-hmm. And you see a guy with that really small build still be able to run through some contact there, you know, even though it's from behind and it's it's mm-hmm. not front on. But still, you know, I think that's that's, you know, a promising sign. And people might be thinking like, well, how come, you know, Mike's not talking about this guy more? Look, I'm still in sort of jilted lover mode with the whole Rashad Perryman and other you know, <laughs> Ravens wide receivers. I want to believe, trust me, I want to believe more than anybody. And there's there's, there's, he gave you no reason to doubt, right, from what you saw on Sunday. So I, I, it's just, I'm still very guarded. You know, I want to be excited. I want to just gush about it. But then I'm still like, well, let me let me see it again. I want to see it again. Uh, you know, it's just, I'm just guarded because I've, I've been hurt before. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I got to say, I'm feeling Torrey Smith 2011 good about Marquise Brown's first game. It's, and and Torrey didn't have it until week, what, week two or week three against the Rams, whenever they played them. Uh, but uh, but it was outstanding, and, and this this gave me that same kind of feeling. It got me very excited on Twitter at the time, so we don't need to go back to that. Running back by committee, any anybody you want to specifically point out in the group that that uh, you want to talk about? We don't have to if you don't want to. Yeah, not just quickly. I mean, I guess it's the obvious. Mark Ingram, you know, because we get to see him in sort of the envisioned role in the regular season. We saw him a little bit in the preseason, but you know, obviously, I, I think everybody kind of expected that he would be the lead guy. Uh, and you know, I think, uh, Gus ended up with more carries, but that, a lot of that was game strip, uh, mm-hmm. game script, you know, sort of induced, but, uh, Ingram looked quick. He looked explosive. He looked powerful running through contact, running through contact. And he looked like the all around sort of savvy vet back, uh, that I think we all expected we would get. You know, what we didn't see is Ingram as a receiver. And that's one of the things we thought we might see is a lot of third down Ingram, catching the ball, you know, out in the flat, wherever it might be, try and pick up that first down. We didn't see that in this game. You know, he, he uh, Jackson went to – he might have been on the field. He might not have been. I don't honestly remember whether it was Hill or him. Hill acquitted himself well in the preseason as a blocker, a pass blocker, 
And it was off and on. But when he was good, he was unbelievably good about going to the body low on bigger men, which is a big problem, obviously, with a small running back and their ability to pass block. Uh, you know, I really look for that. You know, Danny Woodhead could do it. You know, a few guys can really figure out how to do it. But, you know, Ingram, it surprised me uh, that we did not see him, at least on some play, on third down here. And, uh, you know, I got to say, everybody did their job in this one. I, I, the only guy I was a little bit disappointed with was Hill's fumble. I thought that the, the yards per carry were both basically situational, which is, I think, what you just said earlier about the about the you know, the increased workload for Edwards towards the end of the game was largely a function of the game situation. You know, when that happens, you're going to have reduced yardage. It's uh, it's just a natural way of things. I thought he did a good job. I thought everybody really did what they needed to do on offense. Yeah. And Justice Hill, I guess we should we should mention that quickly, too, because obviously uh, a lot of excitement uh, about him from the preseason, you know, a guy with uh, more speed uh, than what we've seen here in a while in the running back group. And um, you know, you didn't see any huge, huge, you know, breakaway runs uh, in that first game. But I think you saw a continuation of what he did in the preseason. You can see the burst. You can see the speed. You can see a little more, you know, ability to, to run through contact, and a little bit of that contact balance that I don't think a lot of people expected he would have as kind of a speed back uh, coming out of uh, Oklahoma State. But, you know, he's kind of continued to show that. So I think those runs will come. I think it's just a matter of time. You know, they continue to give him the kind of creases that I think this offense can create. And uh, it's just a matter of time before he pops one. Okay. Now, how many running back targets did the Ravens have in this game uh, as receivers? Oh, so it's trivia. Sort of, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. I'm going to say zero. Okay. One. Oh, that's close. Pat, Patrick Ricard for the one-yard touchdown is the <sighs> only right. targeted uh, running back in the entire game. All the other 25 went to tight ends and wide receivers. I can't believe I missed that. I, I feel like those people on Wheel of Fortune at the very end there when they're like, oh, I just can't believe I didn't. Yes. It's a very, very, <laughs> very un-Flacco-like game in another way because obviously you know Flacco had, liked to have that running back that he could check down to. No, uh, no need in this game. Nope. All right. All right. So uh, let's go on to our MVPs. Are you going to play this game separately with me? Did you set something up for your MVP top to bottom kind of thing, or do you even? I did not, but I love to play the game, and I'll play it on the fly. Let's do it. You can you can ask, give your number three first. Okay. Starting from number three, uh, whew, I'm going to go with Mark Andrews. Mark Andrews. Okay. Cannot object to that. Obviously a very big game there. I'm going to give it to Orlando Brown. I had to include an offensive lineman. He was the best. The offensive line did a great job. I thought he personally, obviously, you know, did an outstanding job within the within the scheme of things. Number two for you. Number two, and you can probably see a theme here. Uh, I'm going Marquise Hollywood Brown. And I'm going to put that pick there, too. I'm just going to guess that we might have the same number one guy. I think we might. Okay. <laughs> I think we might. I think he plays quarterback. Okay, let's go with that then. So just a, just a wonderful game for Lamar. And is there anything you could look at in this game and say, I don't want Lamar doing that the next time? You know what? I'm tempted, but I don't want to be that guy. I don't. <laughs> I would say the one thing, one thing. Okay, I can't. I can't help myself. The one thing, and and this is only popping into my mind because I've already started to watch a little bit of the Cardinals in mm -hmm. preparation for next week, and I saw a zone read concept, you know, where you sort of fake 
the handoff to the running back and the quarterback keeps the ball right with Kyler Murray. And it's like a three or four yard gain, short gain, kind of in the middle of the field. And he slides. He slides. He right in the middle of the field, not near mm-hmm. the sideline, not going out of bounds. He sees linebackers coming, you know, from maybe three or four yards off and he slides. It's not Lamar's game. Lamar has said it many times. It's just, you know, it's not his mentality. He's literally looking to score every time he runs the ball. And that is not hyperbole. He, you can look at the way that he runs and his approach to running the ball. He literally thinks he can score on every play. Mm-hmm. But I would just love to see a little bit more of that, right? When you take off, because think about that one run, right, that he had uh, sort of the QB keeper and he had Justice Hill sort of out in front of him, almost like a lead blocker. And he hurdles a guy and then he gets there. Don't take that hit. Don't take that sandwich sort of vice tackle between mm-hmm. two big dudes. Just slide, man. Just get that. Like Aaron Rodgers said, get down. Just get down. <laughs> All right. That's a good one. Let's move on. From that, we'll just move on to the mailbag. How about that? I know we got a, a fair number of questions from earlier in the day, including some really good ones. What do you got for us, Josh? All right. Uh, you missed the number one MVP, the Miami Dolphins. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, but, uh, Josh. We can I had to throw that in there. Uh, yeah, that, in the mailbag, uh, let's see. First question up, we're going to go with Meteor Reed, who says, the Dolphins operated on the assumption that Lamar wouldn't be able to make the deep throws. Now that he's proven that he can, how do you think this benefits the offense going forward? Or hurts? Either way, how do, how do other teams now react? We'll let you start that one, Michael. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's going to be really interesting because, again, just – all of the talk over the offseason from John Harbaugh, a little bit from Greg Roman. Oh, we're going to run the ball. We're going to revolutionize the run game. Lamar's going to have excess, you know, this this number of carries in excess of Cam Newton. And then they come out and they do this. And so what's going to be tough is because they are so run oriented with Lamar, I think the game plan, just even when you're, you're, you're just kind of looking at them from afar, is you want to have an eight-man box, at least an eight-man box. Maybe you want nine men down there, right? But now if you can't play with just that one safety over top, if you got to play with two high safeties, well, now that running game that was already really effective with an eight-man box, it's going to be nearly unstoppable if they're facing two high safety looks all the time. So it's really critical that Lamar can hit these kinds of plays because once you get those two safeties back, those two safeties back deep, watch out, you know, like, like Kramer used to say on side fail, giddy up, you know, because <laughs> it's, it's going to be game on in the run game. I agree. I think it'll completely loosen up the game. Uh, you know, part of me says that, boy, we would like to see a few more read option plays from Lamar himself in this game to still prove that he can he can freeze that defensive end, give them the look again so so they, they fear him a little bit, like they did with everything else in this game. Fake punt, everything else they did was the long passes were, were fear-inducing in, in a sense. But they took on the best part of this Miami Dolphins team directly and beat them with ease. I just I, I, I cannot get over that. So the next team that comes in here, uh, you, know, you know, whether it's the Cardinals or the teams thereafter who, you know, who will be some better teams. Uh, I got I've got to wonder just how are they going to figure out how to game plan defensively against this team? And then I'm thinking Roman, with all the layering he did of concepts last year in the run game alone, is capable of doing that again. So it's going to be a fun year of watching the offense uh, with Lamar Jackson. Was uh, all of John Harbaugh's offseason comments building up to this all strategy to make people think Lamar can't throw the ball? He's more more than capable of that sort of gamesmanship. More than capable. Uh, I don't know if it really was or not. I mean, I guess we'll see over the next few weeks if he really thinks Lamar is still going to run like he said. Uh, 
All right, Mig says, at this point, who has a better shot at starting a game? Uh, Powers at left guard or McCary at center? Well, Skur has been an Iron Man, so I think it's probably a little bit unlikely that Makari will start at center and, and probably more likely that Powers will start at left guard. Now, from what we just saw, I think Bozeman is in a pretty good position to keep his spot for a week or two, given this outing. Usually, a player has a decent outing. They're already a little bit experienced. They're usually, with Harbaugh, two games away from getting benched or two games away to get set uh, you know, set uh, to the backup role. Powers wasn't even active this week. So they're going to, at first, I think, have to make a choice to activate him, get him in relief for a game, I think, before they start him. Yeah, and I and I think, I, well, I'll, I'll assume that including Makari at center in that question was more about Skura from a performance standpoint than mm-hmm. an injury standpoint. But I, I think that that's like real narrative street, right? There's a lot of narrative out there about how, quote-unquote, bad Skura is. And it's just something that you have to always keep in mind with offensive line play overall. You know, let's say you play 65 snaps in a game and you have three really bad ones, right? Like you give up quick pressure, sacks, everything. From a scoring perspective, that's a bad game. But you've had 62 other good snaps, right, in the Mm -hmm. game. But that's just how offensive line works. It's just the nature of it. You can have a few bad snaps and that's all that people remember. And now all of a sudden you're a bump, right? So I think that's what you have to keep in mind with Skur and the offensive line in general. I'm not excusing that. I mean, that would obviously not be good to have that kind of you know outcome in a game, but it doesn't make you a bum, right? You have to look at the the sort of over overall body of work to you know really have an opinion on it. Never ceases to amaze me how we can look at batting average and you know hits per at bat, slugging percentage, all of the percentage statistics in baseball, but we can't do it for offensive linemen when they have such observable trials and a thousand plus in a full season. It just, I don't, it, it boggles the mind that people want to go back to. But I saw that one play where he got roller skated back to the quarterback. Okay, well, it happens to a lot of different centers if they're not built to handle that. And the guys who are built to completely handle the bull rush, they're probably not quick enough to stop the guy to either side every time. So, you know, anyway, very much more than any other position, it's got the significant numbers for credible analysis of what the results are and we really no- need to look at by block by sorry block by block results to get a good to get a good answer on offensive linemen all right and uh that brings up another question uh my brother and i were talking about earlier today in baseball war has became the stat to like replace everything is there an equivalent for the nfl yet i know baseball's way ahead stat wise but is there a single stat to look at about like wins above replacement for a player? Well, there, there's a couple that exist there. And by the way, Josh, I'm going to tell you that I don't think war is all that good for baseball because I don't think it really answers central questions. For one thing, Josh, what is the what is the replacement level winning percentage for war? Do you know? I I, I don't know. Is it's one right? It's it's point two ninety four. Right. So a team of of players who have a who have a uh, who are zero war will play 294 baseball. Well, that's not a meaningful standard right. for any judgment you make with regard to baseball. So that's the problem I have with that. In football, you see a lot of expected points models out there, which I think are are decent. But the problem is football isn't played for expected points. It's really played for expected wins. And it happens to be a case that in the first half of football games, expected points is a pretty good proxy for expected wins. But in the second half, it's a terrible 
It's a terrible proxy for it. And you can start with kneel down plays at the end of the games. They have negative expected oh, points. Point. But yeah, so anyway, you, you, you get the idea. But so I think yes. the answer is I don't know of anything that really is there, but it would take a really revolutionary expected win model to get there for me. Gotcha. And there is a paper. There's a paper on that. And I may have sent it to you, Kings. I know I send that stuff to you from time to time. But some really smart guys, if you're a Carnegie, uh, Carnegie Mellon, I assume you're a really smart dude. Uh, Ron Yurko and a team of other yep. guys actually wrote a, a, a paper, Josh, called NFL War. So they tried to create that statistic. I don't I don't think it's, you know, obviously a published statistic or anything, but right. they at least tried to to capture what that model might look like in that paper. Yeah, they yeah, had a I really know. I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say it's statistics in both fields in just sports in general is growing and we're always seeing new statistics. I imagine it's also more complicated with the NFL because you try to bring the salary cap into that as well. Uh, yes. Which is a different. Yeah, it's, it's a different dynamic. So you have to make judgments based on that with it with the 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 other interesting one. And you might have sent me this one also was an in progress, a play in progress win probability model. Did you send me that one, Michael? So no, I don't think so. So, that must so a runner is literally in the clear, ten yards upfield, and the model makes judgments about how the win probability in the game has changed. Mm, that sounds it's, interesting. Yeah, it's, it was it was really interesting. It's a, a cool thing to see. I'm sorry, right, Josh. No problem. Let's close out the mailbag with Bobcat's question. Uh, where do you see Ricard having the most value on this team? Defense or offense, basically. It's a, it's a good question. Honestly, I didn't think he had a fantastic game as a blocker in this one. He had some he had some missed blocks, and I did not score him individually. He had 10 uh, defensive snaps in this one, and he was used as a situational pass rusher, which is exactly how Kelly Gregg got his start in 2001 with the Ravens. He, he really was a situational pass rusher. So I, I, I'm not, I, don't, I think the jury might still be out. He, they do more different things with him on offense. And so they probably need him more for the scheme Roman wants to run. But, uh, but he's when they activated just four defensive linemen, Ricard was one of them and he was forced into a significant role in this one defensively. Yeah, I would agree. I I would tend to lean towards on offense, but like we mentioned a little bit with Mark Andrews, again, I like that the coaches realize that he has a specialized role on defense. He's probably not the guy you want on you know, sort of point of attack run defense, taking on double teams, it's probably not, you know, uh, his strength. But in terms of pass rush, in terms of a guy who can really hit a gap with quickness and burst and explosion, he definitely has that. I mean, you see, we saw that in the preseason. Of course, you know, people like to joke that he's first team all pro preseason uh, because yep. of just how dominant he is in the preseason. But even in the few regular season snaps he's had on defense, you know, he can rush. You know, he can he can rush from a three technique spot or even maybe like a a shade spot uh, just because of how quick and explosive he is. So if they finally have embraced that, that is his role on defense. um, I I like it. I'm all for it. All right. Um, All right. That takes care of the mailbag. Michael, what have you been up to? What do you have uh, that you're working on right now? Uh, So in terms of work, I'll start with that one first. Uh, it's a run charting uh, project. I did it last year. I've done it actually. I've charted plays for the last couple of years. I don't do anything with it. It's just for like my own personal education uh, and sort of continuing to try to learn more about the game. But this year, I think it's going to be used to support an article somewhere. Uh, I'm not sure we're actually going to do it yet. Uh, so I got that going on. But 
other than that, man, I've really just tried to take like a step back actually from, you know, sort of football commitment. I mean, as much as I, I enjoy watching it and I enjoy doing this and doing other stuff on Twitter, um, with the kids and everything going on, I just kind of made some some priority choices, and so I'm kind of scaling it back a little bit. I'll still be involved, and I'll still do some stuff, but it's probably not going to be at the level that it was at last year. And I got zero regrets about that. I got to be honest; I've I've felt really good about it uh, over this off season, and uh, um, seeing some sort of positive benefits in some other areas of my life too. So uh, I'm I'm pretty cool with it. All right. That's awesome. So what you need to plug is your Twitter. So people are following you there. So when you do pop up every now and then people know to know where it's at. Yeah. And you set me up perfectly for that. And I did nothing with it. Uh, at Abukari <laughs> is uh, A-B-U-K-A-R-I uh, is where you can find me on Twitter. And that's probably where I'm still going to be the most active at because it's very quick. Uh, and I still like to shoot out a bunch of uh, screen clips from from video from from games kind of the coach's angle and share some of my thoughts there so uh, I'll continue to do that always very well done always always a lot of information there that you can you can enjoy respond to Michael will always respond when you respond to his his tweets so you know engage with him and I think you'll learn a lot is uh, is what I'd say all right Ken and uh you just have a new article that posted this evening over at filmstudyravens.com. Why don't you share with everyone what's going on up there? Uh, so the offensive line scoring should be out today, should be out just in the last few minutes. I know, Josh, you were working on it. And uh, it has the, the scoring, some of which we talked about on the show. There's more detail there about the individual plays, particularly if you want to follow along. On Twitter, follow me at filmstudyravens. And the website is filmstudyravens.com, where we'd love you to check back every day, see what new is up there. Typically, we're going to have something new Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, maybe Thursday as we go through the week. Uh, and that includes a Know Your Foe episode. Tomorrow night, we're going to have Ed, Ed uh, uh, I'm sorry, Ed, I'm going to get his name wrong, and that's bad. We'll have a former NFL tight end on tomorrow night, who's an expert on the Arizona Cardinals, is on the radio there. And uh, we really look forward to talking to him. Ed Smith. Sorry, I knew I was going to get that wrong. Right, right. So we'll that'll come out on uh, Thursday morning, probably, and that's where we'll break down and really get to learn about the Cardinals and uh, I guess what type of impact Suggs is that is you doing over there. Should be that, and and as always with ex NFL players, and and Ed was a guy who played some special teams, hung along, frankly, on the fringe of the NFL for a few years, including some time with the '98 Falcons. We should hear some great inside insights into what it means to be an NFL player and maybe what it means to be a guy right around roster cutdown day. So I'm really looking forward to it. All right. That'll be great. That'll be in a few days. Go check out filmstudyravens.com. Make sure you're bookmarking it and checking it out daily. All right, guys. We'll have a great evening. If you have a family relying on your income, you need life insurance. But finding the best quote shouldn't take a lifetime. That's where Policy Genius comes in. In minutes, Policy Genius could save you 50% or more simply by comparing quotes from America's top insurers. Once you apply, the Policy Genius team handles all the paperwork and red tape. 
To save on life insurance and get protection for you and your family, head to PolicyGenius.com today. For the ones standing guard, for the eagle-eyed, for the knights in shining armor, and for all those who support them, we are Granger, your experienced safety partner, offering supplies and solutions for every industry, committed to helping keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, clickgranger.com slash safety, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.